0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. I'm your host, Britt Chester, and I'm the Director of Client Success here at Tribus. We're one of the largest independent prop tech companies in real estate and providers of custom real estate technology to real estate companies around the world. Today, we are joined by Amy Herman Schechter, one of Team Sirhan's leading Manhattan realtors, and one who's been named one of New York City's top 100 real estate agents by the Wall Street Journal. Amy, thanks for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I think, you know, just to
0: start, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to, to yourself, as well as uh, how you got into real estate, you know, a little who, what, when, where, and why.
1: So I actually started in real estate back in 2002, which is now just about two decades ago. I came from a celebrity and tourism PR background. So I was working with celebrity clients as well as hotels, restaurants, sports heroes. And I got into real estate when I was 24. And so now you know my age. (laughs) And at the time, I was fascinated by the way people, especially New Yorkers, lived. I'm sure most people can remember it was back in the days of gossip girl meets sex in the city life. And I was one of those girls running around town, checking out the latest restaurants, dating. And I loved seeing how people lived. And my father and actually the guy I was dating's father at the time said, you know, why don't you go into sales? You really should like get into sales. You're so persuasive. We feel like you could sell ice to Eskimos and maybe that would suit you in something like real estate. Cause they know I, I didn't really care to push a product. It wasn't really, that's not my jam. So the rest is kind of history. I, I took the exam. It was actually half as difficult in terms of the hours at the time. So you only had, needed 40 hours. I studied, I took the state exam and then I started in the business and I was like, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna get clients? How am I even gonna sell my first home? and it did take me a good 18 months to figure it all out. I started in the rental market mm-hmm. and I realized rentals are not for me. I definitely was you know I think what happened was is that rentals were are a quick fix and you you know short, Uh, quick job and you get paid quickly. But I actually really found that I thrived on figuring out where are people going to be for the long term? How do you navigate this process? How do you get a mortgage? Who's a great attorney to come with us along the way? Design team to renovate. And I love all those aspects. And I started just really as a buyer's agent. By the time I was 26, I moved offices to work underneath a um, person who actually specialized in purchasing and helping brokers thrive in like a buying environment as opposed to the rental coach that I had had for the start of my career. And it was in the same company. I stayed there for 13 years. And then at some point in my career, I met a little guy named Ryan Surhant And we met on a huge transaction downtown. And I represented the buyer. He represented the seller. We reenacted it for Million Dollar Listing New York, and um, the rest is kind of history. I'm with Ryan ever since. I, I think that speaks
0: to a really good point. Number one, I think real estate has changed a lot probably in the last 20 years think you could probably provide a lot of insight there, but, but also how moving from rentals to really helping buyers uh, and sellers navigate that process and building that relationship. I think that speaks to just how much real estate is still and always will be a relationship-focused business. It, it's There's so much that goes into this transaction, but there's also the part where you know you are helping them navigate a, a major Major purchase. New York being kind of a a unique market in that some of them are going to be second homes, some are third, but some are you know these 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 people's forever homes. And so, kind of talk about if you can, you know, if we're going to look back to two thousand two, maybe to two thousand eight, you know, you've seen the rise of relationships, you know. Building those organically, as well as building those online. And, you know, I think the last 20 years has been a big part there. Can you just kind of talk about what that journey's been like? You know, what what's it like? If you're going to look back into that post 2000, post Y2K era to now, how has real estate really kind of like changed? And, and what what keeps you in it?
1: So that's actually a great question. We I've seen the ebb and flow. So right when I got into the business, that was post 9-11, right, in 2001, and that was the crisis, obviously, that New York was having at the time. And then we come upon 2007 and 2008, which was the financial crisis. And so I lived through these times where people were, before coronavirus, where people were terrified what's happening next with my job? Where am I with my assets? Do I need to sell and buy? Did I just make a mistake purchasing? And do I need to resell this thing I I closed on on a Friday that following Monday? Are they taking my job away when they're merging these two companies? I had all of that in my You know, 20 year experience. And some of it was very frightening because I mean, watching people, their quality of life shift, you know, in a moment with no notice, kind of. I mean, there was obviously rumbling, especially during the financial crisis, but. You know, especially starting with 9-11 when I actually lost my tourism clients and the hotels and the destinations were all bleeding and the airline that I worked with, everyone said, oh, my gosh, we're not traveling or we're not, you know, we're only doing business travel. And when that happened and I got jumped right into real estate, there were some great opportunities for people. And, but you needed to have the right real estate broker to navigate around and understand it, what the marketplace was doing. Mm-hmm. And there was really only a short, it was a very abbreviated opportunity, right? Between like 2001 and 2003. And I was in there, but I was doing rentals. So it was like, I wasn't in that sort of, I'm able to coach this buyer, teach them this, to, you know, figure out how to navigate. Then when I, when I, when I, The navigation of the sales marketplace between, like you said, 2003 and 2008 was all about the new development. All the new condos were coming into the marketplace. This city used to be 60, 70% co-op apartments, and now everything was changing. And you needed to know, the developer that was creating the newest building, you needed to walk through, you needed to sell people opportunities from a floor plan and make them believe this was the best opportunity they could ever have. And tomorrow it's going to be gone. And that was your job at the time. It wasn't walking through places. It wasn't even, you know, there there were a lot of times where you just needed to know, okay, this is the newest building, or this is happening, or the de- you need to actually even talk to the rep of the developer and have that inside track. And so I was really good at conjuring people's inner sort of weaknesses of saying, okay, this is top secret information, but you can have it, but just don't give it to anyone else except for maybe a buyer. And, you know, obviously everyone's playing with everyone's sort of highs and lows, yeah. but the quality of life that people were having when they were feeling like they invested in this new building. And then they turned it around and sold and created this empire for their, you know, little child. It was an amazing thing. You would buy for one two, sell for one seven. That was the market. And then everything changed in 2007 and eight and Lehman Brothers, of course, my brother actually worked for them at the time. So I was very familiar in the mortgage backed securities group. So I knew everything was happening as it was happening from his perspective, from the news perspective, from my client's perspective. And we had to change, that was a very scary time where we as brokers were afraid. We were like, okay, are we selling these people's assets? Is this like a mutual fund gone bad? Like, what are we doing? How are we anticipating the person's next move? How are we there as a partner and a friend because we wanna be their lifelong realtor as opposed to saying, sell, lose money, get out of Dodge. You you lost your job. Are we helping them through coaching them to get another job in this very difficult marketplace? So I became sort of like a jack of all trades. I had to be a fixer. And that was one of those moments where you have to have your toolbox open with all your bag of tricks. And be like, okay, this is for this, this is for that, and this is how we're going to make this work. And I actually had to figure out that I needed all people who were not getting mortgages to buy my client's properties that had just closed because the mortgages, the appraiser would go in and they would say it's worth X, Y, or Z. And I didn't really want that to be happening if someone just was closing for one five and they were trying to sell for one five or one six right. to kind of try to break even. I, and we were in a down marketing spiral. So I had to start figuring out how to do, okay, this can only be a cash purchaser. Okay. This has to be remarketed as maybe it's your bedroom. We have to put a wall up even though it's 1100 square feet. So it was all about the challenges and creating an excitement around something that was very, very challenging. Yeah. So that was how sort of that ran, and I had a lot of uh, bankers who entrusted their work with me, and that was a huge blessing. It was like one after another after another, and that's actually how I kind of launched my larger part of my sales career was during that time coming to the rescue of a lot of these guys.
0: I love that you kind of you kind of talk about that getting that inside track with developers and. Like you said, everyone's kind of everyone's kind of playing that game with each other. But that goes back. It sounds like to your, to your PR days, right? Like where
1: absolutely this you know, is secret information. Only yeah. you have this. Use yeah. it as you should. Make sure it works. And then, of course, it's to their advantage that they gave you the information. <laughs> They're selling it. It's it's all a sale. But it really is figuring out what's what and figuring out what's actually good information as your secret information. <laughs> know and and going from there and
0: i think i i worked in uh pr last year with real estate companies like for a, a real estate pr company and it was it was great but it's also about like you've got this this valuable information that's uh you have to know how to make it valuable right you have to create that value and you do that by contacting the right people and kind of like giving that that information a journey in a sense But something else you talked about that I, maybe there's a, a, a little bit of a comparison there, like we're the market that we're seeing, maybe even outside of New York. Now you've dealt, I think you have some experience in both Miami as well as the Hamptons. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. How did you
0: expand out of New York into those markets? Those are, I think Miami and New York might have some comparisons. Hampton's obviously having a great connection there, but how did you kind of expand out and and what, what kind of brought that about?
1: Well, I have a great partner that once I saw people were navigating toward Florida, I basically picked up two or three contacts that I had as great contacts, long-term life contacts, one, a great friend of my husband's and one, a friend of mine, since growing up who have their Florida licenses. And I said, let's partner because I have a lot of people who are going to be coming your way to avoid um, state tax. And also to grab some sunshine because, especially in the time um, of COVID, a lot of people were wanting to have that outdoor lifestyle throughout and have the freedom and flexibility of being able to still socialize and be with people when everything was kind of shutting down in various other colder, you know, more closed off cities where mm-hmm. the there was higher population density. So Miami, Palm Beach, all of those areas became flooded with my clients wanting second homes and or relocating. So I said, I have to ride with the times. This is not like a moment to be like, oh, I don't have anybody in Miami or Palm Beach to help me who's located there. It was more like, okay, who is the savvy person who can close everybody and let's work together and make this happen. Let's figure out where people want to be community wise. And I had a couple of people that I had already moved down there pre-COVID and they were really happy and you know, whether it was in Boca or Northern Miami, Aventura, and we, I I understand the neighborhoods because I've been traveling myself to Miami often since I'm a kid. It was the very first place I ever visited, the very first place we took my daughter. We spent, you know, four weeks in Miami when she was little. We used to go for, you know, a length of time, and um, I really, we stayed at the Fountain Blue. So I really love it down there, and I think, you know, I can't survive there all year long, but I love I love the snowbirds and I love everybody who wants a second home and um, if you're relocating there I want to be your person that you come to asking me for help. So that is how that happened. The Hamptons was actually even more I guess interesting because I grew up in Long Island and I said I'll never go back to Long Island. I won't even have anything to do with Long Island. I am done with Long Island since I was 18. However I really love the beach and I love swimming. And I have a little girl who's seven. And at this point in her life and our lives, we really wanted some extra space. It's hard sometimes in the city to, you know, get your contains, everyone's sort of in their boxes. And if you're not in a box, you do have to have like 20 million and up, you know, net worth. (laughs) So that said, we said, why don't we grab a little investment property? I'm very into investments and investment properties. Mm -hmm. We also own our place on the Upper East Side. And I said, let me put my money where my mouth is. And then just as a result of that, people started calling me actually crazy amount of phone calls and interest and incredible resources that I have working with Ryan. We said, let me start taking on all of these Hamptons clients. I'm licensed to New York, which obviously we're discussing right now. And Hamptons is New York, so why don't I work these deals? And that's when I started actually really building out my whole team and saying, okay, well, if I'm in the Hamptons, I need someone in New York. And if I'm in New York, I need someone in the Hamptons. And it was it's just been incredible. It's been an incredible 12 months, the the last 12 months. I I never would have thought we would have made lemonade out of lemons.
0: And that's that's what I was was a great lead into the next question, because you mentioned like what it's like building those those lifelong relationships with your clients. Right. And and so it makes me wonder, like, how are you coaching them last year? You know, if they were they coming to you and saying, you know, we want to sell or get out or were you, you know, kind of looking at it like we want to you want to hold this property for right now. This will pass. You know, it's obviously COVID was unprecedented, but but. You know, tragedy and catastrophe is not unprecedented historically. We, we we've been through it. It's it's we see it's going to be cyclical. If it goes down now, it will always come back up. How are you kind of coaching your clients last year in in their best interest? Because I think everyone's interests are going to be different. Are you looking to to really relocate full time and not come back? Do you just want to to keep your properties here in New York and then you know look outside and you're maybe move to Florida for a little bit over 6 months and you know take advantage of the tax benefits there. What were some of the the coaching tactics that you employed last year?
1: So, we had a lot of coaching that we were doing as myself, Ryan, my team members, we were really figuring out what people wanted. And a lot of people, this is the problem with last year, a lot of people didn't actually know what they wanted. They were confused and a lot of their financial advisors were even saying can you just wait please until 2021 to take any action because we need to sort of see where things you know fall and I was definitely interested in the people who were leaving the city to basically help them sell their homes and do everything I could to get them resettled but I Every single one of them, and they will tell you this. I said, Are we really losing you? And I actually gave them like my spiel of why they should stay in New York. And I said, Are you really gonna like not being able to walk outside to your nearest little bodega or to grab your favorite coffee, whether it's at Ralph's or Via Cadrono or, or, San Ambrose and you you just want to like have to get in your car and drive to like a local starbucks are you sure this is the lifestyle you're looking for and why are you thinking about this and they would be like well, we're just like afraid to go outside our apartment. We're this, we're that. We just don't have enough space. We're trapped in what we feel is a box. There's no way outside. We're leaving our home once a week. And I did look and see that my friends in Newport Beach, in Miami, everyone seemed to be having a great time. Everyone's still living life. And we were like- Social these. <laughs> it was- an unbelievably sad moment in new york where people were really afraid and scared for their safety for their lives for their well-being for their jobs and it was a very different sentiment it was a very different covid than a lot of the rest of the world was feeling even in for example the hamptons where it might have been cold you still had your private home or you could get into your car you could feel like you didn't have to clorox everything that came into your house you just probably you know you had a a little bit more space, a little bit more breathing room if your kid was homeschooling or you were to work from home adults. So we knew that like, I knew at least that this was a time where people should probably not be rushing to make these hasty decisions. But I also felt like I needed to be behind them if they felt like they had to make a decision or they were gonna jump out a window, you know? So it was like one of those things where it was like, I'm gonna talk you through why you probably don't need to move right at this moment. But then if you still feel Like this is absolutely the most urgent matter and you absolutely are relocating, whether it's to Long Island, Hamptons, Miami. I mean, those are where that's where most of my crew is going or Westchester or Connecticut. If you have to do one of these things, then I will be there along the way to help you already I can tell you that some of them are moving back in fact it's actually I just was at lunch with one of them and she just said to me please make me a three-year plan it's my client and my friends and she actually handles relocation for another brokerage in Connecticut but it's very different from us how we handle things in the city and she said Amy what do you think I want to come back from middle school And this one will go to boarding school. I'll come back from middle school. I'll be back. What do you, you know, can we get an apartment underway? And I was laughing and I said, you're 100% coming back. I can tell already. And we're going to invest you in the Hamptons. Cause you're going to run in the city and you're going to own in the Hamptons, And we, we were laughing and that that's actually a story of many people. And I, I expect it will be even more because some are still trickling out. And I still think that the New Yorkers for life, the people who grew up here, who I know and who were very happy here for so many years, I, I, my prediction is they're coming back, whether it's in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, I don't know that timeline, but I think it's sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, that I mean that's a, a again great lead-in. You know what are we looking at now? What are the variables that you, as a an experienced realtor in Manhattan, as well as you know the Hamptons, and you know you've you've seen so much coming, so much going, so much of of everything. What are you kind of looking at now? Like and like we'd mentioned before, like in this new chapter, right? Like this is a things have changed. People people are, are viewing work differently. People are viewing the home differently. The relationship to the home has changed. So what are you kind of looking at and how is that kind of guiding a lot of your advice and conversations with your clients?
1: Well, I think the relationship to the home has changed because people sort of want, it, it wasn't at least new yorkers as a city were not those people who wanted to go home and feel a full reprieve or we have a restful moment we literally would live in the tiniest little piece of new york city to be able to go out and do and see and be in new york so i think what i have found recently in the last i would say four months is that the marketplace is booming buzzing everyone's out and about it is Really, the New York pre-pandemic, we are seeing only a 5%. The data is showing us 5% discount off asking price on average in closed sales. We mentioned the Olshan Report. We have Garrett Duretian, who's our data analyst at Surhant. He is telling me all these numbers. He is like, that is his job. He is a market analyst. And during COVID, you were seeing these huge discounts, 15%, which was a big discount. But those discounts are long gone. So that is something I can tell you. It's actually crazy. People definitely missed the bottom if they were looking to buy at the bottom. You know, you can never time the market. But we're really back. And we're back bigger than ever. The rental market is having this same boom right now. We were The rental market was lagging. So the sale market started picking up and becoming very strong. And we saw that inventory was more and more limited, which meant that there was a very high demand. There were more sales this year in the first five months of the year than there were of all the data that's been collected since 2010 when they okay. started doing this data collection. Go, Donna, go. But anyway, so we really, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. It's not its not me saying anything, any news, newsworthy news. It's like, we're here, we're yeah.
0: booming. And, um, and
1: we did not expect this so soon. I would tell you that any realtor, I mean, even Ryan, uh, whoever you wanna ask, I was asked many times and I said I believe 2022 2023 are going to be great. We just need a minute to catch back up and wow, the city really showed us what it's about. New York is New York is strong, New York's strong all day long.
0: Yeah, I think you know, we saw that in real estate all over the country, right? Like it was such an anomaly thing that that occurred last year. I was working like I said, I was working in PR And like everyone, you know, we're in, you know, from March and April, there was just this massive uncertainty about everything that was happening, but then it just, it blossomed and we had like one good month and we're like, all right, well, maybe that's the anomaly then another, and then another, and it just continued to to break records. I'm out in Denver, Colorado, and our median home price has gone up a hundred thousand dollars over the year, which is broken every record that we've ever
1: had. Incredible.
0: Yeah, seeing massive migration, you know, to to the city also to the mountains. And I think you you mentioned another good point about you know, I think New York has some of the same characteristics as some of these like second home markets and that they're not insulated but they're it's not the same as all the real estate in Kentucky or or, or Kansas or anything like that. It's constantly going to surprise you. And it sounds like that's what happened. You also mentioned there, you have a a data person at Team Sirhan. What what was that person's name?
1: Oh yeah, Garrett. He's like, he is the guru. I call him like my data guru, data genius. Thank God for Garrett. Like I literally, I need all of that data. So that's a huge thing for us. We like the data because our clients are so educated. I mean, New York City, you can imagine it's the creme de la creme if you live in New York you know you you've got like I don't know 1200 square feet for two million dollars right so anyone who's sort of made this their home and sacrificed other aspects of life for the quality of life that you get here when the marketplace is open meaning restaurants culture Broadway museums etc anyone who's done that has really probably been very enamored with or or enjoyed the diversification and the, and the just kind of the melting pot aspect of New York and where you can go outside, go to a comedy club or go to, you know, a a Broadway show any moment, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think that these people are highly educated people. I, I, I don't have buyers who don't know what's going on, so you can't really trick them. So you want to have the data. You want to have data and you want to have information, and that is how I think um, brokers can set themselves apart from just your average broker. I think that you know there are lots of people walking around speculating this, that, and the other, and you can't unless you have a crystal ball, which none of us have. Clearly. So then none of us Yeah, you just go with what you actually know, proof in numbers or proof in trends and show, you know, that New York is always an upward moving marketplace where things are always appreciating. And when there is that moment where it's not appreciating, if you can hold, you hold. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always tell people don't be in an emergency to sell unless you're actually in an emergency. Because if you hold on and all my people who held are so grateful, I had someone who almost parted with their apartment and we couldn't get it sold for the right number. And we said, let's hold, let's pull it off. And literally now they got within $5,000 of their asking price. And you know, basically a seven, 8% premium over what they would have taken a hit on and and received about six months ago. You know, New York, there were different neighborhoods. There was a lot of, unfortunately, there were violent acts happening. There were protests, there were things happening closures and robberies and things that were very unusual it felt like a different city and we were like where is our city and that thank goodness was temporary but had people sold in Chelsea or Soho or where all of these Union Square where a lot of the you know unfortunately a lot of the incidents were occurring, they would have taken a huge hit. That was not a desirable area. Now it's way, it's just back. You can't even find anything in Chelsea and Soho and Union Square. I have people calling me every day. I want this. I'm like, okay, we're gonna, it's gonna take a minute. It's gonna take a minute. We shouldn't jump. We don't wanna pounce at the first thing. There'll be like seven bids on it. Right. So it's it's remarkable.
0: I love that. And it also speaks to that information age and, and the, and having data to empower yourself as a real estate agent. Like it's, it's just kind of like bringing that bar up of another tool that you can kind of keep, you know, kind of keep in your back pocket rather than, like you said, just kind of saying like, I think this is going to be a good idea based on you know cultural trends, which again I, I think those have value. But having that data to really drive those decisions and influence those moves—that's that's such a big thing. So can you kind of talk about working with working with the Surhan team? Like, what is it like having yes.
1: like, kind of so,
0: support? Oh, so it's so, so interesting. Thing, so.
1: so we so technically okay. So for all purposes of this chat, so technically I was Surhant team for five years, but now technically we're at Sirhan the brokerage, which is mm-hmm. super exciting. Mm-hmm. Ryan broke away from what he knew for, you know, many, many years. Oh, over I remember a decade that. Of his career. It
0: was a big and announcement he, on Inman, I, I think. I remember. Yeah,
1: it was amazing. And he, not only did he take down one of the most significant buildings in all of Soho for our office space on West Broadway, but he really just, He said, let me try this and let's see if it works. And it is working. And he's as if not more successful than he's been in his entire life. And it's an amazing Ryan and I are very close. We're very close friends and business colleagues. I had a great time at his wedding. It was like the first time that I left my kid. She was almost three at the time. And I was like, I can't leave her for this long. And then I'm like, all right, I gotta get, I gotta get myself to Greece. So that's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> my boss. <laughs> so we always joke around and I always go, okay, boss. And he's like, ha, because we just we're definitely. It's, it's an amazing leg to stand on, but we he considers me an equal, which is a really good place to be with Ryan. And it's an honor of all honors to be, the lady that fixes everything like when he has the most challenging listing or something comes in that hasn't sold in four years I know that I'm gonna get that phone call and be like another dog and it's funny because I actually remember way back when I said to his wife I we we also chat here and there and I said Amelia why do I have the most difficult listings of everybody and I was of course much younger and not as seasoned in Ryan land and she said to me well Amy you're Obviously, the only one he thinks who can handle the situation. she was like, I would look at that a different way.
0: Yeah, kind of a backstop. So here I
1: was, like, not, I wouldn't even say complaining. I was just like, why is it me, though? And then she was, she explained it in, like, one fell swoop. And then I said, yeah, I do really like a challenge. So I think that Ryan and I both have that in common. We're like, go, 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 and keep with the challenge. Like, I have one right now, which is that my assistant, for whatever reason, felt that I was attending a showing of a contractor. And I think that there was a miscommunication because they're buzzing me nonstop while you and I are chatting. And they're like, probably like, Is Amy coming or is he coming? Meanwhile, he called me. I see that there's like a little confusion and I have to remind them that like, remember there are these four additional appointments that we said you were gonna be covering and taking care of but every day in this life, there's like a little mini snafu. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the owners let the buyers upstairs. I don't really know what's happening because I'm not checking my phone but I'm always checking my phone. So that's the whole thing. We, We joke around that we all have tech neck Like, if you're a good broker, you have more neck wrinkles than, like, anybody in the whole town. Like, I'm like, we're going to all have plastic surgery on our necks one day. Very early. Very
0: early.
1: But it Um, is what it is. Yeah, we shouldn't have these neck wrinkles until we're, like, in our 70s. Meanwhile, I think all of us are like this to our phone. Like, we're looking down all day, every day. Like, what's happening? We're, you know, you have to be fast. Exactly. Deleting creating appointments getting back to people it, it's funny some people the the information overload in new york the amount of time that someone will give you to actually answer their question is like is like a minute yep like they're like why aren't you answering me i'm yep. like really we don't work at this speed we work like one notch slower. Yep. Like if I'm in my phone, I can answer you within 10 seconds. If I'm in a meeting, I can answer you five minutes later. Yep. But New York is funny like that. You have to be really fast. That is the only way to survive here. Ryan will tell you, fast, <laughs> like lightning. Be yep. smart with your time.
0: Be, be quick on those responses. Be quick. Uh, well, Amy, we're, we're coming just up on time. I've got two more questions. One of them, I, I would say, and you know, we can... Yeah, you can take this however you want, but let's say you have a crystal ball. What do you think the next, you know, six months, 12 months kind of looks like for New York?
1: Well, the good news is New York is here to stay. I do feel that I have a crystal ball because I have gone to my expert data man and we have talked about what trends we're seeing and then what trends he believes will stay and it's just solely based on data and because there's a shortage especially in the hamptons especially in new york actually for certain types of apartments and there's a high demand people are back to school and back to work as as usual come september we are seeing a mad rush to get settled and the fall and I think the next six months are gonna be very, very busy with people downgrading, upgrading, still moving, You know, whether it's back into the city or out of the city, we still are going to see that trend. And then the good news is that the domestic marketplace was mostly the marketplace that we saw transacting. And since the global marketplace, we hope one day very, very soon, will be much more frequently visiting New York City. We haven't even seen what that will do to our marketplace. So we're going to have, we believe, an influx of very educated and qualified buyers coming into town. Yeah. and whether they make up 5 10 or 15% of the marketplace is almost irrelevant it's another batch of buyers that's jumping into the marketplace
0: mm-hmm. and then uh, our final question which we asked we asked all of our guests and you talked we and I talked about it before but you know given your experience in real estate if there was one thing that you could change about the industry what would that be
1: you know if there was one thing i could change about the industry it would be uh, for people to have to, they would have to have a mentor of a really, really seasoned agents. And seasoned agents would actually have to, whether they were the mentor or someone right below them who also had many years in the business was mentoring this person, we would have a little bit more of a mentorship program. Because I think the young agents and inexperienced agents kind of sometimes are flailing around not knowing what's going on and it's causing so much drama, aggravation, stress, and almost like an inefficiency in the marketplace. And I would like to sort that out and weed that out a little bit better. And I think that there, if there was like an absolute mentorship where you had to do at least six months with someone guiding you and helping you, I was very lucky. I sat next to an amazing broker who was very seasoned when I began. And I, he let me ask him just like almost every question. I think I was a little annoying (laughs) <laughs> but um, I didn't want to get it wrong. I really wanted to thrive and succeed, and so I. There are a lot of questions that you know you need to ask on the way in, and that would be a great thing.
0: But I completely agree. It's almost treating it like a, like a trade, right? And and, and and respecting it as such, given the, the weight of of decisions that are made. That's great, Amy. Well, you've been listening to Brokerage Insider with our guest this week, Amy Herman Schecter of Team Sirhan in Manhattan sure to subscribe to Brokerage Insider wherever you get your podcasts and listen to a new episode each week. Amy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.